Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Second and 18. Prescott in trouble again. Running away and looking at it. High and it's intercepted. The Jags have it. Jenkins has it. Down to the 20. Penalty at the end of it. I'm beginning to see a pattern here that I'm not so sure if I like. <laughs> Welcome all to the Writer's Block Podcast, another episode. And unfortunately, y'all, I wish we were talking to you on a post-victory Tuesday. However... However, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. I'm Jess Navarez. One, part one of our part two co-host situation, Brandon. Brandon also here, of course, because this would not be the writer's block without Brandon. Like, who else would deal with the incredible amount of puns that we put out on this podcast every week and enjoy it? I I really don't know. I don't know who else. You're calling us a situation. I think the bigger situation was what happened on Sunday. Brandon's in a mood, everybody. Let's just, we're going to move on from that because we have a special guest today. Um, Dave, you know, I really wish you were on these podcast episodes post-victory, but it's becoming a tradition that you're on here post-loss. Um, you just, you bring us a glimmer of hope and and a sparkle in our eye, I guess, you know, like David Howman, everybody, we have him on here again and we're so excited about it. Yeah, eventually I'll be on here after a win, but you know. For for now, I'm happy to uh, to be hopefully some some good news after a rough Sunday. Yeah, we brought you on here to give the people some light. You know, we we definitely need it. Um, a very roller coaster like Sunday for the Dallas Cowboys, losing to the Jags, y'all. We've been talking about a trap game for weeks. The Cowboys got themselves in the trap. They ate the cheese, and the rest is history because. It was just a very interesting turn of events. The Cowboys lose in overtime, uh, just made it hurt uh, that much more. And then, without even playing, without even winning, they managed to get a playoff berth. So, interesting Sunday. Brandon, I'll start with you. Dave will jump back to you after that. What are your initial reactions on the Cowboys' loss? Just initially, what is the word that comes to your mind? Uh, I guess it's not really just the one word it's a saying you know fool me once shame on me fool me twice shame on you fool me three times shame on the cowboys you know they go through this whole afc south classic as everybody was calling it and you know the colts game it was up and down pretty competitive but again you know the cowboys pulled it out in the fourth quarter historically 33 points in that game and we're like yeah this is awesome you know this is great and then the Texans game happens, and listen, the Texans, they took the Chiefs into overtime, one of the best teams in the AFC, so that does not look like as bad of a win um, as people were making it out to be and as concerning because the, the Texans right now, they're playing just to play, and, and they're happy to be uh, a part of the NFL right now, I guess is the best way to put it. And then the Jaguars come in. They are a competitive team right now. They are playing under a Super Bowl-winning head coach in Doug Peterson, who is very familiar with the Cowboys. 
when we were trying to decide for the writer's picks and everything that Dave runs, I was back and forth on this for about three days. And I was kind of collecting my thoughts, doing a little, you know, uh, meditation. And I said, you know what? The Cowboys, they are going to be going on the road for the first time in Jacksonville in a very long time. Uh, I think the the crowd will play a factor into it to the advantage of the Cowboys. And that is exactly what happened for the first half. And my main takeaway is that the Jaguars beat the Cowboys at their own game. And what I mean by that is the halftime adjustments. The Cowboys have been known this whole season to get slow starts. And then after halftime, this team wakes up and they end up winning the game. And we're looking at this as a tale of two halves. Well, it was the same way on Sunday, but just the shoe was on the other foot. And the Jaguars were the team that came out. Um, the Cowboys... Uh, they come out of the second half in their next four possessions. They only get six points and one was a forced punt. And then the other one was Dak's first interception. And then the Jaguars went on to score 21 unanswered points. So that to me is, is the game is that just the Jaguars beat the Cowboys at their own game. How many, how do you feel Brandon? I also, I'm pretty sure that's not how the saying goes, but it's something like that. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, but again, me, you, whoever, it's a bunch of shame going around, uh, unfortunately. Cool. Oh my goodness. Wow. All right. We're really here to perk everybody <laughs> well, up today. But, uh, I don't know. You know, you start off just a, a little critical, not negative. I think frustration no. is the word I want to use, but it, it's only well. up from here. You know what? It is so valid. How many, I want to hear your thoughts first. And then, you know, you know, I have thoughts of my own. So where are you standing with your initial reaction? And do you have a little saying like, like Brandon did that comes to mind when you think of this Cowboys team and the loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, now I'm kind of nervous to use a saying. I don't want to be the second one to, to mess it up. So I'll, I'll go ahead and abstain for now. Um, but I mean, after watching the game, I was just, I was really in disbelief the way that it ended, the way that everything went down. And I mean, that final play with that pick six is just like such a crazy fluky kind of thing. Like the amount of times that you see something like that happen where it hits you in the hands, bounces up to a defender, and then they also return it for a pick six. And it's in overtime, so the game's automatically over. Like it, it just, everything, all the randomness just all came together at one point and was just a total just calamity of errors for the Cowboys right there at the end. Um, and when I was watching it, when that play happened, I just kind of sat there on my couch, like silent for a few minutes because I could not believe what I had just seen. Um, and over a little bit of time, you know, my thoughts actually came to me and, it, you know, after sitting on it for a little bit, you know, it was frustrating to watch, but at the same time, it, it, it really does come down to just, one of those fluky plays in overtime. And it was, you know, when you get into these kinds of games in overtime, that's where these crazy plays can happen and it swings the game one way or another. And so I'm not necessarily, you know, sky is falling on the season kind of uh, perspective right now, just because I think it really in the end did come down to bad luck, but I'm more frustrated with the fact that they didn't put the Jaguars away earlier and that they let them stay in the game. They let them come back and, it's funny because Brandon mentioned the writer predictions that, that we put together each week. And in my prediction, I mentioned this was the game I was most nervous about since the Packers. And the game kind of followed a similar trajectory. They had a multi-score lead, blew it in the second half, get to overtime. Something crazy happens in the Packers game. It was Deron Bland falling over for Alan Lazard to get that huge catch. This time it was a pick six. And both of them on the road, both of them against teams with a really good quarterback coach duo. 
And it just kind of felt like that all over again. Hopefully it turns into another huge blowout loss in response. Or blowout win. Sorry, not a loss. A loss for the Eagles. That's what yes. you meant. I know, I know what you meant. I know yeah. what you meant. But no, I agree. I think it it didn't sting as much as the Packers loss, I think, because the Packers game was so emotional going into it, especially for Mike McCarthy and just all of the emotions that were running high that week. But it definitely hurt. And I have to keep reminding myself, this team is 10 and four. They are still a great team despite this loss. I, I had to, just like you, I sat there kind of stunned. Um, that TikTok sounds like the woman was too stunned to speak. That was me after the game. And I always have something to say. So for the fact that I was just kind of sitting there like, wow, that that just happened. It, it was a lot to take in. And, um, you know, the more I studied on it throughout yesterday and this morning, here's the thing. I think Cowboys fans have a valid reason to be concerned. I think concern is absolutely the first word that, that comes to my mind because the same things that really solidified them losing this game are the same exact things we've been talking about all season. Miscommunication, turnovers, just things that they are defeating themselves with. And, um, you know, I know for me with within this game, a big thing was the play calling to me. You're not going to win a game when you're establishing the run early. Great. That's amazing. We love that. And then you abandon it. And then you're telling me even more so you have guys like Michael Gallup, who is coming off of three of the best games he's had in a while. And he doesn't get the ball for the first time until the fourth quarter. The Cowboys' 10th drive was the first time Michael Gallup touched that ball yesterday. And he was on the field for a good amount of the game. But all that to say, you have the weapons within this team to be a great and successful team, to play complementary football. We keep hearing that week in and week out. It's just coming down to the execution, and that worries me. The execution or the lack thereof that this team has sometimes, it worries me. And... um. You know, what worries me more is when the execution is coming when it's too late, you know, because it's not every game you can go 11 plays for 98 yards in a winning drive of the game. And I think this Jags game was a perfect example of that. Um, Dak's interceptions obviously worrisome, but I also think a lot of it comes down to really going back to look at the interceptions and what happened. So the first one, it was intended for Dalton Schultz, miscue, miscommunication again, another um, theme that we keep seeing reoccur within this Cowboys team, especially in the offense since Dak came back, interception one, and then the pick six to end the game. Well, Noah Brown took full accountability for that, and I appreciate him for that very much because that was not on Dak. That is a ball that Noah Brown needed to secure and keep going with. Furthermore, though, I think you go back even more so to where this didn't need to be an overtime game because you have a Cowboys defense that allowed the most points that they've allowed so far this season. And you're not going to win a game if you have your offense scoring points. They were 17 points up, and then you allow three straight drives of Jags to get points on the board. That's just not that's just not acceptable. So for me, I'm concerned, but I also don't think the sky is falling. The sky's it's still there, but I am concerned going forward. So um, initial reactions, I mean, really, it was obviously upsetting, but um, I, I think the most concerning thing to come out of this is the injuries. 
And specifically, I was really worried. I don't know about y'all. I'm sure you were too about the loss of Jonathan Hankins for this defense. And I think that showed. However, then you see Leighton Van Der Esch go down. That definitely showed. And Leighton Van Der Esch is somebody that I know Cowboys fans are so quick to count out, but he is having a fantastic season. He has really stepped up and he has showed exactly why he is a staple part of this defense. He is on a contract year. Keep in mind, he's on a one-year deal right now, guys. He had a lot to prove. As far as I'm concerned so far, he's proved exactly what he needed to. So um, luckily, we did learn from Mike McCarthy today that it was just a stinger um, more than a neck injury. I know all of us were very concerned thinking that he re-injured that uh, prior neck injury that he had. Not the case, but he's not going to be in for the Philadelphia game. What do the Cowboys need to do, the Cowboys defense, what do they need to do to ensure that, one, the pass rush is returning and for whatever reason, why it disappeared, how do they ensure they uh, secure that pass rush and the run defense without Leighton Vanderush? How do they even start? Who do you think is going to be the Band-Aid, if you will, until his return? Brandon, I'll start with you and then I'll jump to Dave. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Dave handle the pass rush because I know he had a good point um, about that, how it seemed to be better than what the you know uh, first eye look um, kind of kind of presented for the game. But I do think that when Leighton Vanderesh leaves, what happens is not only is he great on the field, but also off the field when it comes to adjustments and also being a mentor to Damone Clark. I think that Damone Clark has improved his play because Leighton Vanderesh is side by side with him and being able to tell him where to be. Because again, Damone Clark missed all of the offseason programming and, and installment and didn't come into the game until uh, play in the NFL until the Bears game. So you see that he is still a very young player and is learning literally by a trial by fire. So I think that Damone Clark will improve each and every week, but now that there's sort of a, a big weight on his shoulders to carry this team a little bit in the linebacking core, um, you know, he can lean on Anthony Barr, but even Anthony Barr is new to this system in his first year in as well. And he's not playing particularly well right now. And yes, he is still a vet and he has seen it all. So that does help. But I think if Leighton Van Der Esch could be on the sidelines acting as like a uh, assistant linebacker coach, I think that would be the best thing uh, for the Eagles and, and whatever game he, he returns and, you know, before that. But I, I do think that that's where you start, you know, try and coach up Damone Clark. Coach up Jabril Cox, who will probably be getting extended playing time, you know, like what was talked about today in, in Mike McCarthy's press conference. So I think that you're just going to have young guys trying to fill the void of a lost veteran presence. And it's sort of what we've seen with Amari Cooper leaving. It's, you know, these it's you have one guy leave and you kind of replace the production with two guys. And it's the same for linebacker, too, for Leighton Vanderish. He leaves and now you want two guys to kind of fill his spot. So I think Jabril Cox brings a lot of speed to the table, which is sort of lacking, especially on these outside runs uh, that were really hurting the Cowboys on Sunday with the Jaguars. So I think that that's where you start. And then maybe you have someone like a uh, J. Ron Curse fill the box a little bit more like he's been doing all season, kind of acting as like a hybrid safety linebacker. Yeah, before I get into the pass rush, though, I just want to follow up on, on the run defense too is, um, I mean, I, I think like Jess said, a big part starts up front with Hankins not being there because Hankins has been doing such a great job of plugging the middle. And then with Vander Esch, I mean, so many of his plays this year have come where he's just so quick to diagnose things. He, uh, the, the phrase that coaches use is he has clean eyes. He's able to see the field. <clears throat> he's able to see things really easily. And going back and watching this game over again, like 
Damone Clark did not have clean eyes. Um, and that's to be expected with him being a rookie and not even playing the full season. The fact that he's even playing any sort of meaningful football this year, given his surgery in the offseason, is tremendous. Um, but, I mean, he, he led the team in tackles, but also his average depth of tackle was over seven yards per. So he's making a lot of upfield tackles. Um, so, you know, I think part of it is obviously he's going to play a role and he's just – he just got to get a little more confident in what he's seeing and being able to react faster. And that's one of those things for a young guy. It just, it just comes with time. And I, I, I trust Clark and the skill that he has is, is evident there. So um, hopefully between him and Dan Quinn and everybody else, they can get that resolved. Um, but as far as the pass rush, I mean, a lot of people were really frustrated that we weren't sacking Trevor Lawrence left and right. And, you know, obviously it's, it's not as fun when, when you've become accustomed to that, like the Cowboys fans have all year but the Cowboys actually had 28 pressures in this game. And that's the most that they've had in a single game since week five against the Rams this year. So they were getting pressure. Problem is that Trevor Lawrence came into this game second among all quarterbacks in the fastest time to throw second only behind Tom Brady, who of course is notoriously famous for being difficult to sack. Um, So it was when when I actually looked at it, you know, they were getting pressure. It's just that, Trevor Lawrence, and part of it all is also the offense that Doug Peterson runs. It's designed to counteract their offensive line, not necessarily being the best pass pass protection unit. They get the ball out quick. Trevor Lawrence has great timing and feel for that. Um, Also, Micah Parsons had 12 of those pressures. That's also the most he's had in the game in his career. So just in terms of generating pressure, he had a career-best performance. But again, when the quarterback's getting the ball out that fast – you can't actually get home and get to the quarterback. So um, that's still, you know, the pressures still affect the play though, because sometimes it can throw off your timing. And there were a few plays where Lawrence had to just kind of heave it up there and it fell incomplete or he threw the ball away because he didn't have that time. And that's, you know, you still get some impact from those pressures, but obviously with a different matchup, different quarterback, the Cowboys are generally getting home on those. And it wasn't the case against Lawrence. And you know what, that leads me to my next question because it seems like there's one of two kryptonites for this Cowboys defense. It's the run defense, which we already know, uh, or a mobile quarterback. That all ties into the same thing. And now, like you just said, a quick reacting quarterback that doesn't stay in the pocket, that is going to release that ball quickly. And Witt's crying over here. I don't know if y'all can hear him. Witt is just crying. Oh, yeah, he's he sounds very lost. upset. He's <laughs> very upset that the Cowboys lost. Um I swear he only does this when we're recording. But my question is, which one of those two things concerns both of you the most going forward, not just against Philadelphia, but you're looking even now playoff contention. Cowboys are officially in the playoffs. And where it stands right now, which got interesting with the Jalen Hurts injury that we'll get into in a little bit, could be seeing another Tampa Bay rematch situation. What worries you the most? Is it the run game or is it a quick reacting quarterback in the pocket home and I'll start with you this time then we'll jump to Brandon um I I think in a general sense I'm more worried about the run defense just because um you know there's only so many quarterbacks that can get the ball out that quickly and do it accurately a lot of a lot of quarterbacks in this league when you try to speed up their process to what's not normal for them um you know it, it doesn't really work out. I go back to Joe Burrow in the Bengals game earlier this year. They they had to really speed him up because he couldn't. He he didn't even have you know a second because his his offensive line was struggling so much. And once they speeded him up, it didn't work. But um, 
you know, it's, it's really difficult for those quarterbacks to just adjust to that. But when you're talking about the run game going against a, a defense that's, you know, not really that good against stopping the run, um, I mean, it's it's pretty simple to – I shouldn't say simple because nothing's really simple in the NFL, but it's a lot easier to adjust your run game to attack a, a weak run defense than it is to have a quarterback change up his entire uh, throwing mechanics. That said, right now it's looking like the Cowboys are – probably going to be, end up host, or traveling to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers. Brady is the king of those quick passes. So in that kind of situation, he's kind of uniquely set to take advantage of this pass rush. And also it's Tom Brady in the playoffs. And you, no matter how bad the team is playing, you never want to face Tom Brady in the playoffs. Yeah, Howman brings up a great point. Um, I, nobody's given love to the Saints or Panthers or Falcons. You know, I know they're about one game – uh, back a piece from the Bucks, but uh, nobody? Anything? No. <laughs> no love. I would love to face them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. May, maybe not in New Orleans in the Superdome. Uh, that would be the one place probably I wouldn't want to play. But I think you bring up a great point where, to me, I think the run defense is the major thing. I think that I think if you if you stop the run, it eliminates a lot more mobility for a quarterback because you're you're doing outside contain. And the one thing that we saw that the Colts were having success with uh, against Jalen Hurts in their matchup is that a lot of the edge rushers were keeping outside contain and forcing him to step up in the pocket. And they had either a spy safety or a spy linebacker kind of sitting and waiting. And then he would have to run right into him, make a move, you know, left to right. And you know, the ends would then come crashing back inside. So I think that will eliminate the mobile quarterback. And when you look at the teams that they might be playing in the playoffs, if they move past the wild card round, you know, you have the 49ers, you have the Eagles, these speed options, you know, to the outside, these jet sweeps to receivers. I mean, my God, the, the 49ers are like the yak bros is what people call them. You know, you got Ayuk, you have Samuel, you know, even Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, you have these guys who are just explosive runners with the ball in their hand and Brock Purdy, you know, he's still, you know, again, as a rookie, I don't know how much, the playoffs will, uh, you know, put a, a lot of concern in, in the back of his mind uh, if he won't play well in the playoffs. But I do think that he's navigating that offense very well, and it's a very quarterback-friendly offense. So you just you get the ball out and you put it in your playmakers' hands, and then they make the moves afterwards. I do think that with the Eagles, they present the toughest matchup, which is why, you know, coming into this weekend, I think it's important to see, okay, how do the Cowboys handle this run game? You know, their run defense. And I think that when we saw them play with Cooper Rush back in Philadelphia, the Cowboys needed to make a stop on one of the final drives that Philadelphia was moving down the field and they couldn't stop them. So, you know, how do they react to that? How do they adjust, especially not only with home field advantage, but, you know, Hankins wasn't in that game. You were hoping Hankins would be there for this game. So now, okay, without him, he wasn't there the last time. What can you do to fix that? And I think that you lean on guys like Neville Gallimore. You lean on guys like Osa Digizua. Carlos Watkins has been underrated. He was great last week, struggled a little bit uh, this week. But, like, those are big, beefy guys that you hope to stop the run. Uh, you have a guy that you brought on the practice squad, uh, Anthony Rush, who was on the Eagles squad. I don't know how much he will be leaned on or called up for the next few weeks. But even if you can get him on the field, uh, maybe sit down like a Chauncey Goldston or somebody like that and you replace him with that. You never know. You just put big beef in the middle and just see what happens. That would be uh, my biggest thing. And and you never know. It, it could be fixed, but I do think that the outside contain, you need your edges to play a lot better, especially on these sweeps to the outside. Yeah, you both bring up very good points. And so with that, let's shift gears. Let's talk offense a little bit because 
Guys, I'm frustrated. I am frustrated. Oh my goodness. This offense, we asked them, hey, we want a quick start. Although their first drive, they didn't score. They did, I will say, have a quicker start to this game in the first half. Second drive, they end up scoring. And then, you know, they had their 17-point lead at one point in this game. Now, my concern here, um, let me just pull up some stats because here's my concern. You have the one of the best one-two punches with Zeke and Tony Pollard in probably the NFL right now. Why? Ugh, here's the thing. Why are we not sticking to the run? We, of course, I mean the Cowboys. I don't play for them. But why are the Cowboys not sticking to the run? You saw early on they were – it was working. And you go back through the drive-by-drive view of the Cowboys and the Cowboys' offense in this game – you can see when the run is dominant within those drives, they're scoring touchdowns in this game specifically. But do you all feel like the play calling was different from the first half to the second half? Or what do you feel like the issue was with the offense overall? For me, I think it was the play calling issue. We'll get into that in a little bit while I pull up these stats. But Brandon, what was the biggest issue on offense that you saw? I think it was a little bit of the play calling. Um, I have more of an issue with the situational play calling itself towards the end of the game. But I think that once you saw, and I tweeted this out, the minute that the Cowboys got a 14-point lead, I said, knowing that Tyron Smith, Christy Scales reported that he would be on a 25-snap count you know, in the game. As soon as I saw them get 14 points, I said they're going to pull him out. And lo and behold, on the next drive, after they got 14 points, Jason Peters was in at right tackle. And I know we were hearing this rotation of maybe Josh Ball, Jason Peters, I think that you saw the age of Jason Peters catch up to him on Sunday. And the defensive ends, I mean, again, give the Jaguars credit. They played really good football defensively. They were ferocious. Uh, they were super aggressive. I know Aisha Morrison was talking about that as well on Girls Talk, Boys Talk. She was saying that, like, this defense, they play fast. They play hard. It's similar to, like, the Detroit Lions and what the Cowboys saw earlier in the season. I know that you had... The safety who intercepted Dak twice, Rayshon Jenkins, he had 18 tackles on the day for a safety, which is insane. And then Foye Aluakon that I gave Je uh, Jess the tidbit uh, for Girls Talk, Boys Talk. Zeke's buddy from high school, he had 14 tackles on the game, 61 tackles now in four games, which is ridiculous. So, like, they, they were flying to the football. Um, but I do think that Jason Peters, you could see that maybe it's because he's playing out of position. We heard that he's better on the left side strictly, whether it's at guard or left tackle. But he's doing his best. He's trying to help the Cowboys out of a difficult situation. When Terrence Steele goes down, somebody has to step up. And the Cowboys want to load manage. They don't want to put Tyron Smith coming off of injury and only having a few weeks of practice to just play a bunch of snaps um, at right tackle, a position he hasn't played for in many years. So I think that once you saw Tyron out, you could see that the run game wasn't going because Jason Peters was in. I don't think he's as strong as he used to. Again, he's playing out of position. Um, we saw that he got hurt and a little banged up on a couple plays. So I think his age is catching up to him. He's the perfect swing tackle. But I think moving forward, you will see Tyron Smith at right tackle. Um, and that's just better for the overall offensive production. But I do think Peters had a little bit you know, to do with the lack of uh, offensive rushing capability. And you know what I thought was interesting, too, was listening to the broadcast. I don't know if you caught this. Aaron Andrews actually mentioned that Tyron told her that 
it was his idea to go in at right tackle, yeah. which I just thought that was so interesting um, because a veteran guy, I mean, let's call it what it is. A veteran guy can go in there and be like, hey, chum, hey, young one, like move over. It's it's my spot, you know? But the fact is that's not the kind of guy Tyrone is. And he said he was looking at the, you know, he was looking at everything that we've been seeing from this O-line, especially after Terrence Steele went down. And where could he best fit in? Absolutely killed it. Um, Mike McCarthy even said, we didn't intend on giving him that many snaps uh, for his first game back, but we did and um, went pretty well. And so I think with Jason Peters, it's an interesting thing because he wants to be that guy that goes in and helps. But again, your body is is going to do what it wants. It, this guy's 40 years old. I didn't know. I didn't know he was in his 40s because when you see him, He's just so lively, and I had no idea he was in his 40s um, just, you know, after seeing him for the first time in person. But 40 years old, your body is not going to be the same as it was when you were 30, when you were in your, you know, early 20s. But he wants to be there. I mean, mentally, he has been great for the younger guys. Tyler Smith, perfect example of the mentorship that he has given this O-line. And I firmly believe that what you see out of Tyler Smith for the rest of his career, part of that was paved out because of Jason Peters being brought on this team. I really think uh, the best is yet to come for Tyler Smith, who has stepped up and done a tremendous job throughout the season so far. But um, yeah, I think the O-line rotation was interesting. Howman, what do you feel like the best combination is for this O-line? If you're just looking at what you have going forward for the rest of the season, who are you putting as your permanent O-line for the Dallas Cowboys offense? My my answer has kind of changed a little bit in in, in the last couple of days because going into the Jaguars game, my ideal situation uh, when all is said and done and everybody's fully ramped up and everything would be Tyron Smith at left tackle, Tyler Smith moved into left guard, and Jason Peters over at right tackle. Um, I, I do think that a, a big part of Peters' struggles in this game, though, Obviously, part of it is is the age aspect. When you're 40 and especially you play a position as physical as the offensive line, like he has, your body wears down over some point. The fact that he's even playing at even an above-average level is impressive. Um, but I also think a lot of it just has to do with his general lack of playing time at right tackle. Um, you know, for an offensive lineman to go through that switch, uh, it's it's akin to if you're right-handed suddenly trying to write with your left hand. You know, you might be able to do a couple things right here and there, but overall it's, it's not going to look pretty for a while. And for him, you know, Peters has played left tackle, you know, pretty exclusively throughout his career. And with, with the Cowboys, they kind of started out with him at left guard. They tried it out a little bit, rotated him. And then they said later, he's just working on left tackle. And then suddenly he comes and has to play right tackle. And so, you know, I, I can kind of forgive him for not, you know, looking that great. So um, based on what we saw in that game, I would say probably now the my top preference would be Tyron at, at right tackles, keeping Tyler at left tackle. But at the same time, you know, going through practice, I would still want to give Jason Peters some reps at right tackle because I think if he can get that down, if he can, you know, improve and you can have him out there with Tyron, I mean, that's two future Hall of Famers and you got Zach Martin, you know, so three future Hall of Famers on your line is pretty darn good. And a guy who has a rookie with Tyler Smith is also having a great year. And someone that doesn't get nearly enough coverage, Tyler Biotish, I think is also having a phenomenal year. So I think that would be a great five together. But again, it's dependent on can Peters get comfortable at right tackle. So um, 
we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's definitely it's going to be interesting seeing what they decide to do, especially against the Eagles. Um, and then, you know, postseason just right around the corner. Unbelievable how fast the season goes by when you're talking about the Cowboys every single day. Um, but, you know, something that I noticed, and I did this on Girls Talk, Boys Talk today because it was intriguing to me. I looked at uh, the Jags receiving core and listen to these numbers, Okay. Zay Jones had 109 yards on Sunday, averaging 18.2 yards per catch there. Uh, Christian Kirk had 92 yards for six receptions, averaging 15.3 yards there. Evan Ingram, who was somebody I kept a very close eye on this game. He had a career game uh, the week before in Tennessee. 62 yards, averaging 7.8 yards per catch there touching the ball eight times, so on and so forth, okay? Just remember all of those numbers because then you go to the Cowboys receiving core. There is a big, big difference here. You have CeeDee Lamb, seven receptions, 126 yards, averaged 18 yards per catch. Noah Brown, 49 yards, uh, touched the ball six times, 8.2 yards per catch there, two touchdowns. And then you see a drop. Tony Pollard, 31 yards, averaging 7.8 yards receiving. Um, Peyton Hendershot, 20 yards for one reception. My point with all of that is you're missing a few names here. You can go all the way down. Dalton Schultz, he touched the ball twice. Zeke touched the ball twice. Michael Gallup touched the ball once. And like I said, that was in the fourth quarter of the game. That was the first time Michael Gallup got a target. My concern is when you are going pass heavy. Like we've seen time and time again, they've abandoned the run. Cool. Show me what you got. You have, you have your wide receiver core. Show me, show me what you got. Let's lean on them. Why are those numbers so low? Why is Michael Gallup not getting the ball more? First of all, second of all, you have a James Washington who's on his ramp up. He was only on the field, maybe a handful of times during that game, who, by the way, could also tie into special teams at some point. But my concern here is all the talk has been around T.Y. Hilton and the Cowboys' new shiny toy offensive weapon. How is he going to truly make an impact when your guys who have proven at this point, hey, Michael Gallup has had some of his best games, how can T.Y. come in and make an impact if he's not getting the ball? So to me, I think that's why I go back to play calling being an issue. Does that fall on Kellen? Does that fall on Dak? Where does that fall on? Because, of course, CD having himself a great game. Noah even having himself a great game, unfortunately, until that pick six there at the end. But how do y'all feel about that? How do y'all feel about the wide receiver core and how you think T.Y. Hilton can really weave into it, um, I'm assuming, as early as Sunday, uh, Saturday. It's a Saturday game this week. Um, I'm assuming we will see him Saturday against the Eagles, but that's not been confirmed yet. But Brandon, I'm going to start with you on that. Yeah, I'll let Howman, uh, and if he wants to touch on the run game, um, he most certainly can. I will never take that away from him if he wants to. But uh, if you want to talk about the wide receivers and T.Y. and all that, with the run game, I think that we noticed how great of a run blocker Terrence Steele actually was when he's missing. You know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And I think with Terrence Steele, he was playing at a a great elite level um, at the right tackle position. And I just think that, they tried to run the ball. It was definitely a game of firsts, you know, at the end with the score. I mean, the Cowboys were, I think, undefeated when Elliott carried the ball 15 or more times, and he carried it 16 times and they lost. You know, you look at Tony Pollard, he had 19 carries on the game. And, like, that to me is 
when you have those types of carries, the Cowboys have produced with better numbers than that. Tony Pollard, 75 yards, Elliott, 58 yards. Like they've been better than that when the carries are that high. I think that you have uh, sort of a rookie wall that might be hit right now with Tyler Smith. He is playing more games than he ever has in a season. He, again, transitioned from the college level. It's, it's tough to transition, especially playing at left tackle in the NFL. You're going up against guys just like Micah Parsons is playing at defensive end, mostly full-time now. It's like it's, it's a lot to ask when you're doing it for the first full season of your career. So I think that, that you're sort of seeing him tire out a little bit, and that's why they were doing so well, I think, in the beginning of the game running the football. And then as the game wore on, the Jags were just like playing really tough. Arden Key, defensive end for the Jags, really had his number um, on Sunday. And again, hats off to the team for what they were able to do. But again, I think that you saw that the absence of Terrence Steele was felt a lot more in the run game. And as far as the wide receivers and where it goes, uh, I I don't know. I hope T.Y. is the, the type of person that can elevate the wide receiver room, another veteran experience and, and presence to, to bring and elevate the guys. But I don't know. I don't know if Michael Gallup is playing, you know, hesitant, if he's losing confidence, and that's why he's not producing. I know there weren't a lot of targets that went his direction, but separation, again, you know, Dak's not going to throw to you if you're covered, and otherwise, you know, the interceptions will go through the roof. So I don't know if it's a case where Michael Gallup is playing a little nervous, and the Jags decided to take CeeDee Lamb out of the game. He was triple covered at one point, so who else is going to step up? Noel Brown did, but then he dropped the ball, you know, uh, at the final play of the game. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot that needs to be fixed. That's why I think that these last few games before the playoffs, like keep playing your guys until it's absolutely necessary when you don't have to to keep guys healthy. But there are a lot of things that need to be worked out on the offense right now, especially at the wide receiver position. Yeah, and I mean, with with Ty, you know, so much of it is we we can't really know yet until we see him because he hasn't played all year, and so it, you really don't know what shape he's in and how he'll actually gel with with the rest of the receivers and with Dak. Um, but I think with, with Michael Gallup, especially, you know, he's, he at times this season for most of the year has not really looked himself. And that's really to be expected with him coming off of the ACL tear. And he, you know, he returned to the field sooner than we initially thought he would anyway. And obviously he had a ramp up period once he did come back. But um, I mean, especially when, the, you know, you're talking so much about, Odell Beckham Jr. now, and he's not going to, doesn't look like he'll be able to play any regular season games. I mean, he, he has the same injury. He suffered it about a month after Gallup did. So that kind of gives you an idea of how serious an ACL tear can be to come back from. Um, so I think that's a, a big part of it with Gallup and just looking at his body of work, separation has never necessarily been his calling card either. He's always been that deep threat and he's not necessarily a burner, but he's someone who's just really great at the catch point. Um, so I think in a, in a game like this, you know, Dak was looking for those open guys and he found it a lot in CD Lamb and he found it a lot in Noah Brown. Uh, there just wasn't a whole lot left to go towards, towards Michael Gallup. But, uh, you know, we've also had games earlier in the year where Gallup was getting open. He was making plays and kind of looked like himself. So I think it's, uh, maybe I'm just being too optimistic here, but I think it's just a case of, it wasn't his week and, you know, maybe next week it will be. Um, but also, you know, you got to give some props to the Jaguars defense. I mean, especially up front, their, their defense is really stout up front. And I mean, they were without Trayvon Walker, who's their first overall pick in this year's draft. He was second on the team in pressures and sacks, and they were still able to get home. Arden Key comes out of nowhere, gets two sacks. 
So this is a defense that um, they, they haven't had the year that they really wanted to, but they've been able to come up in some key moments and, you know, they, they had a good game and they, they played really well against Dallas, especially with some, uh, some kind of uncertainty on the offensive line with the rotation and right tackle. And like Brandon alluded to, you know, Tyler Smith may be hitting a bit of a rookie wall too. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brandon had this great idea this week, by the way. I usually do. Sometimes. <laughs> you do so. Look, I will give you that. Your ideas are brilliant. They're great. Except when it's not pumpkin pie related, then we just don't agree. On this that. is true. I am a- part of the minority in this uh, in this oh. um, podcast that we have right now. Wrong group. <laughs> Wrong group to bark up that tree. But um, in the spirit of all things holidays this week, Brandon has come up with this game. I'm going to let him explain it. And we're putting a little holiday twist to our power rankings this week. Very excited for it, Brandon. Let them know what we're doing this week as far as this game goes. Yeah, normally, like Jess said, we do our, our power rankings list. And again, when it's tough to see a game like that come to a close with a you know game ceiling interception the other way, uh, you want to bring a little holiday cheer. And, you know, the holidays are this weekend. People are going to be traveling, you know, something to look forward to. And listen, Santa, he's going to be making his deliveries. I think we're all excited for that. So why not get in the spirit of the holidays and create a naughty and nice list similar to what Santa has? I don't like to put us on the same level as St. Nick himself, but again, that's for the people to decide, not not for us to say. Uh, but yeah, so we're not going to be ranking any players, a top five, you know, on on either side, but we're just going to say names that are making it to our naughty and nice list. It could be either from this past game. It could be from the whole season. However, you know, we want to talk about it. And, and again, we might mention the same names and we could talk about the name, you know, and get it off our list, you know, cross it off our list. I should have said that instead. Um, but, you know, I will start uh, with a name that I'm pretty sure we'll be making uh, near the top of our naughty list. And that's uh, Kelvin Joseph. Um, and we can all talk about him with regards to the cornerback depth and what we've seen over the past two games. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that things are clicking too much right now. I don't want 
people were saying on, on Twitter, you know, oh, cut the guy, you know, release the guy. It's not that simple. The Cowboys right now, they need bodies more now than ever because they keep losing guys, specifically at that position. So why not keep a guy who's been in the system for two years now is still, you know, figuring out the the defense. And again, he hasn't had a lot of playing time. You know, he's really only had his first two full starts over the past few weeks. So he's still learning the position. And I think that there were moments where he was great. You know, when when you're asking him to cover a guy in, in man and impress, you know, it's just he looks like a good corner. He wasn't getting called for holding penalties, but the minute you ask him to play, you know, back and ask him to play in space, that's when the double move comes out and you ask him to to think about it with, you know, struggling in that area. So I don't know if he made uh Howman, if he made your list, uh, but if not, you're more than welcome to talk about him. No, he he definitely made my list. He okay, was good. <laughs> like one of the first editions. Um and I mean it, it was just really it was it was disappointing to watch because since Kelvin Joseph showed up, we've heard all about his potential, and he he showed a lot of flash in his very limited college snaps. And he didn't play much last year because the defense was so great that there wasn't a need to have him play. And now there's a need with Anthony Brown out. And you know, last week he had some good moments, he had some bad moments. It was kind of touch and go. And then this week he it was just you know, snowballed on him, really gave up two touchdowns on back-to-back drives. And I think a, a lot of the negative reaction is fueled by the, the just coming up short with relative to how much hype he had, especially with his off-field issues with this past offseason. So it's it's kind of like, well, all he's doing is being in the headlines for the wrong reasons now. Like, what's the point? You know, he's a second-round pick, and so far he's he's been outplayed by Deron Bland, who's come in as a rookie and has – taken over for Jordan Lewis and done pretty darn good. And he's been here less than Calvin Joseph has. He's been able to grasp the playbook. He's been able to play well. So it's just mounting frustration. And we'll see what the Cowboys do with that position going forward after, you know, Nashawn Wright came in and didn't play as much as Joseph, but he looked pretty good when he was, when the ball was thrown his way. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Something I didn't notice until um, I was talking to Christy Scales earlier today, and she mentioned it on Girls Talk, Boys Talk, was about Kelvin Joseph. And I'm trying to find where I wrote it down. But essentially, um, he was benched during that last part of the game, um, which I think is just an interesting decision um, on everybody's part, but not shocking. And that's how you know... He deserves to be on the naughty list for this week. Um, he was also on my naughty list. So there's that. Um, I don't really have much else to say about him other than show me. Show me what you got. I'm tired of all the talk. Show me. Show me that you can step up in the absence of two veterans. Show me. I I don't really have anything else to say. I want to see improvement, and I want to see it immediately because we don't have time to waste anymore as far as that position goes. Well, and, and before you can say another name on your list, Jess, I, I think, in my opinion, the second touchdown he gave up was worse than the first one because we've seen Trayvon Diggs give up on a double move against the Colts, and you're like, okay, it's Trayvon Diggs. You, know, you, you live to fight another day, and I know he was getting ragged for that, but again, it happens when you have aggressive corners and you're trying to teach them to go for the ball. The second one, he just 
look absolutely defeated. And again, he's going against a veteran receiver in Marvin Jones. He's been around the league forever. But you could just see that as soon as he kind of gave up on the play, it's like he just looked defeated. He wasn't even going for the receiver anymore. So for me, that was a little more alarming because it's like, okay, now you're not only playing well, but your confidence is completely low. And I do think that, again, you have to coach up your players in situations like that. And I did see J. Ron Curse was all over the field, you know, trying to coach up these guys when they were putting in different guys left and right. Marquise Bell got in there a little bit. Nashawn Wright, like you mentioned. You know, J. Ron's like, okay, you know, that's that's why I think when he ripped off his helmet, he was in frustration frustration on on that touchdown so I think that you see a lot of inexperience right now and there's just so many moving parts that it's tough to figure out and try and solidify so um let's transition to let's do one nice one Jess I'll start with you who's the name that made your nice list oh this is so shocking everybody Brett Maher nice he's on the top of my nice list because trusty old Brett Maher coming in clutch when we need him the most our shining light of this team our sweet prince I'm just so proud of him. And that, like, look, it's coming from me, everybody, which I know I was very harsh on him at the start of the season. I will admit that, rightfully so. After the trauma he put us through, rightfully so. But I'm willing to eat all the crow in the world to say I'm so proud of the improvement and the maturity that he's shown within these last two years, Um, really the growth. Um, of his mindset, even just talking to him, you can tell he's just such a calm mannered guy. Um, and he needs to be because if worse comes down to worse, I don't want the pressure getting to Brett Maher. I don't think it will, but I'm just so proud of the improvement he's had as a person, as a player and a staple within this team who would have thought because it sure as heck was not me at the beginning of the season. But for that reason, Brett Maher, you are at the top of my nice list this season. Um, well, I, I really wanted to add Brett Maher onto my onto my nice list. He almost made the cut. I, I love him just as much as Jess does, and I knew that Jess was going to include him, so I, I decided I'd save one spot for for someone else who also deserves a shout out, and that's Jaron Curse. And you know, Curse has been a a huge part of this defense since last year. A uh, huge leader, like like Brandon mentioned too, and talk about coming up in the clutch, making a play when you need to, and he's the one who forced that fumble. Then Micah Parsons went on to recover, which should have been the end of the game. That should have been a Cowboys win right there, and for other reasons that I'm sure we're gonna get into a little further here in a little bit, it did not. But curse that doesn't that doesn't matter to curse. He came up, he made the play, he forced the fumble, and he's been such a such a core part of this defense and. Uh, he's been a, a big player all year and had another big game, big moment in this week, and he deserves some some love for that. Uh, on the nicest for me, I have to put Tyron, and I know he just got back, but I mean, you're telling me the the tendon was ripped off the bone, you know, in in training camp, and he's playing 13 weeks into the season, looks in the, like like he never left. I mean, the guy is is robotic. He is a bionic man. Uh, the team was so much better when he was in there. And like Mike McCarthy said, we weren't planning on putting him in there for more than the originated snap count that we had, but that's because he was that much better. They needed to lean on him in that position. And the fact that he's playing out of position for the first time in like – every year except like a, since 2011 something like that I think I saw so you know it's it's amazing to see him and how it's like he could just step right in immediately and make this team that much better and not really miss 
Terrence Steele because you can put one great player in for another. So um, I got to put Tyron there. Another name on the naughty list, I got to put, and this is just in general, the injury bug that has been plaguing this team. And I know it's not a person, but I don't like it. Uh, It started all the way back with Jake McQuaid being out, you know, with the torn biceps. And when that happened, I was like, oh, man, when your long snapper goes, like, I hope that's like the least of your worries with regards to the season. And the Cowboys are relatively healthy last season by the end of the year. So you hope that, okay, that's just one guy. But then you have Simi Fajoko, Jordan Lewis, Farniak, Anthony Brown, Hankins, Terrence Steele, Leighton Vanderish, and you just have all these guys that are impact players. And I, I mentioned Simi. I know the expectations were very low, but when you look at what you're getting from Jalen Tolber right now, you think that maybe you can get a little bit more production from a guy who's already been in the system for a full year and look good in training camp. So I, I just think that the injury bug is something that I want no part of, and that injury bug is, is going to be getting so much coal in their stocking, and Santa does not want anything to do with that. I don't think any of us want anything to do with that, but that's so creative (laughs) of you, actually. Um, Next on my naughty list, I have Kellen Moore. Um, Yeah, I'm just going to (laughs) say, I (laughs) is anyone shocked? Um, I'm just going to say, I think Kellen Moore is great when he's great. He absolutely knows the strengths of his team. I will give him that full credit, full disclosure. However... You gotta, you gotta call to the strengths. I, I just get so flustered when you see the same things being called and being utilized. I will say this week, um, you did feel the loss of Jake Ferguson. You did feel that 100%. You saw a difference in his play calling with Jake Ferguson being out, but Kellen Moore, um, you're on my naughty list, but prove me wrong. All of the, all of the naughty lists, please prove me wrong. I don't wish he gets coal in his stocking. I'm not going to be that mean. Um, I just, he's on my naughty list. He's like, he's new to the naughty list. So Santa's going to be lenient and be like, all right, you still get a present, but it's your first warning. And that's the only warning you get. So Kellen Moore is on my naughty list. Santa's going to go like 1920 Santa and like give him an orange or something. Yeah, you know, like, like, like healthy. Yeah, like it, it's healthy, but but you're not getting a toy. You know, you're not going to get anything. Right. I mean, listen, T.Y. Hilton's coming back, so maybe that's, you know, the, the toy to play with in the offense, but, uh, you know, but yeah, he's going to just get an orange, right? I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine, or like a fruitcake or something, you uh, know? Yeah, do well, people eat fruitcake? Is that, do you guys actually eat that? No, I, I don't, I don't touch it. it to me, it's like, it's, it's the equivalent of pumpkin pie, so... Okay, you're done. You're <laughs> done. You know what? Well, I hope Santa gives you a pumpkin pie for Christmas. Yeah, That's well, I-, I would deserve it. Uh, Howman, for you, <laughs> Kellen Moore. Uh, I know we were going back and forth in the Slack channel about him. What do you think about him making Jess's naughty list? And if he's on that list for you too? Well, I, I think maybe instead of Cole this year, maybe Santa can just give him a better playbook. Um, that Ooh. might be something to help with. Wow. Uh, and... <laughs> Kellen did kind of make my, my naughty list. Um, I, I, I wrote down Mike McCarthy and all the coordinators. So I'm giving it to all of the coaches that were making in-game decisions. I, I do want to kind of preface it by saying I, I do like Kellen more. I think that he's doing a good job with this offense. And, I mean, this game, you know, the Cowboys scored 34 points. And, you know, looking at all of the games that have been played before Monday Night Football, uh, I mean, just of the – Teams that played this week so far, Cowboys are ninth in uh, EPA per play and they're third in offensive success rate. So it's not like they were bad. They, they were, dare I say it, really good offensively. But at the same time, for Kellen Moore, 
you get that that final possession in uh, regulation, and right after the fumble recovery, like you got to get a first down. And those first two play calls, you get tackled for a loss, you gain those yards right back, and then you're third and ten. And at that point, like I don't like the first two calls that get you into a third and ten, but at least at that point, then you need to know, at the very least, you run the ball, you make them burn that timeout. And with all that talk about the 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 guy getting tackled uh, out of bounds and that saved the timeout, they shouldn't have had that timeout in the first place because if Kellen runs the ball on third down, you're probably not getting the first down, but at least they don't have that timeout. And how things change after that. We'll never know, but at the very least, they burn that final timeout. They don't have that to use when they're going down the field, and they ended up using it to get that field goal that took you to overtime in the first place. Uh, also, you know, Dan Quinn, I, I love Dan Quinn, but the defense just got beat, and they got beat bad by this Jaguars offense, and there was no real adjustments from this defense, and especially in the second half, they just got rolled over. Um, so I, I'm giving some 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 naughty list consideration to Dan Quinn. And then with special teams, I feel like the special teams has been, you know, gradually getting worse each week the past few weeks now. And it's been one thing or another here. You know, it's it's been giving up a big punt return here. It's been Brett Maher, as much as we love him, he missed a field goal. It did not actually affect him, but he did miss it. And uh, so that's at least something to worry about. Kevontae Turpin, who I also know we all love, He's, you know, he muffed a punt last week. This week, he had a couple of kickoff returns where he's taken it out of the end zone, doesn't even get back to the 20-yard line. And it's like, at a certain point, John Fossil needs to step in and say, hey, you don't need to return every single one. Like, you got to know when you let the touchback go. And I just think, overall, it was the performance from each of these coordinators was not necessarily bad, but it was definitely lacking in what we know that they're all capable of. And then at the top, I, I give some some grief to Mike McCarthy because, you know, three straight weeks where you, you're playing down to your opponent's level. And in this one, it was kind of the opposite where they come out strong and then they just blew another lead. This time it actually bit him. And like, you know, when three weeks in a row, when is Mike McCarthy going to make a change and get the team to stop playing down to their opponent's level? So all of the coordinators and the head coach are on my naughty list for that. I'm going to fight you. That's what's going to happen. Well, but Not it, only are you yeah. throwing my guy, Brett Maher, <laughs> under the bus, but then you took it a step further by talking about Cavante Turpin. Oof. I'm I love pumpkin pie, though. Just remember that. Okay. And Taylor Swift. You're yeah. Fine. But, Jess, I mean, can you argue with this point that you think maybe Turpin's forcing it a little too much now on the kick returns? I think the thing about Cavante Turpin is what you're seeing is a product of him trying to find the same kind of aggressiveness as Dak. Maybe I was, I was, I was going to say the exact same thing. And and you look at the head coach of Mike McCarthy, where he said, and I'll let you finish your point, but like damned, if you do damned, if you don't, if you don't make that, that third and and, uh, deep ball, third down deep shot, that's his, that's his mentality. It's like, listen, Cavante Turpin could, could get the touchback, but you know what? He has the explosive capability to, go and make it 99 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Yeah, I think exactly that. I would rather him try to be aggressive than settle for bad field yardage uh, or field position. Oh my goodness. Um, When the offense is playing like they are, because I will say when he's played as well as he has and he gets going, he is you go back to the, the offensive struggles from this team. He is partly the reason that the, the Cowboys were able to score, whether it be a field goal from Brett Maher or whether they were able to score on that drive. So 
Um, I, I do think he is still young. People seem to forget that he's still young. He's trying to find that aggressiveness in himself. It just doesn't show up in the same way as it does maybe for Dak Prescott. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, and, you know, Howman mentioned Kellen Moore and sort of this, like he is great when he's great. I know Jess mentioned that too. I look at it as to me, he, he is a good quality offensive coordinator. He is leading the team back-to-back seasons as one of the top offenses in the NFL. But when I look at situationally, there's that separation between him and like an Andy Reid, a Sean McVay, a Zach Taylor, these guys who have been in these playoff type scenarios where if the game is on the line, they know how to put their players in the best position possible to succeed. And unfortunately with Kellen right now, I don't know if it's a lack of communication between him and McCarthy on what play needs to be run. If McCarthy's trusting Kellen Moore to call the play and he has nothing to do with it in the moment. Like again, that comes down to, you have to know your team. You know, you have to know your role. The, the, the play call in overtime that ended up in the in the interception was a great play call. Looking back on it, originally I was like, why are three guys in this area you know, of the field, in the middle part of the field? Well, they're trying to run two pick routes to open up Noah Brown. from And I just I saw that. I was like, oh, that's creative. And Dak threw a great ball with pressure all around him, put it in the best-case scenario, uh, best place possible, and Noah Brown just dropped it. So that's not, a, not on him, not on Kellen Moore. But that third and 10 play call, I was just saying to myself, why don't you just run it? Like, force them to take the timeout. You already went back three yards to start the drive. Just kill it right there. Let them burn the timeout. Or try and go on the first play and try and pass it. Catch them off guards. And then if it's incomplete, then you can you know at least say, okay, we tried. We went for it. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. Two guys that made it onto my nice list, uh, Deron Bland and Trayvon Diggs, I think going back to the cornerback position that what we talked about. I also look at, you know, Dan Quinn mentioned today that there's an open competition for the second starting cornerback spot. And, you know, we'll see who gets the the nod by the end of the week. I think, honestly, your best three might be Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland on the outside and then fight for whoever is going to be in the slot. You know, whether that is the Mackenzie Alexander, you know, practice squad signing that they had a few weeks ago, Kendall Sheffield. I know he's more of an outside guy, but he has played in the slot. I just think you need to have all options on the table right now, but at least you know that right now Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland are your best two corners, and I think that this aggressive mentality that Brand, that Bland has brought to the secondary is why he's leading the team in interceptions with four, and that's, you know, you see that as a rookie, like this guy is doing things that, like Howman mentioned, you know, Kelvin Joseph has been in the system for a year, and he's not even doing these things, so you could just see that's more of the player and who he is fundamentally rather than the scheme itself, and I think that Trayvon Diggs, we don't even talk about him anymore because he's that good. Nobody throws to him anymore, which I feel bad for the guy because he's going to be entering a contract year in the next few years and trying to get his money in the offseason. And the Cowboys might end up saying, well, hey, the interceptions dropped down. Yeah, but that's not what tells the whole story. It's the same thing second week in the season. You know, he made that great stop on third down against the Bengals that essentially sealed the game for the Cowboys. So I think he's doing so many unsung things that nobody's really looking at, but that's how good of corner he's turned into and not really just in being a ball hawk guy he's turning around into an all-around good corner um to kind of tap on the defensive side on the naughty list sam williams to me there's a little bit more of lack of discipline right there right now and i say that because uh he had that penalty just you hate penalties so does santa um and you know you guys share that similarly uh he had that one play where it was you know a kickoff and the guy goes out of bounds or a punt and then he just tackles the punter or whoever it was it's just like silly play and you also had in the second corner with uh nine twelve nine minutes and 12 seconds to go 
it's a, a jet sweep to Jamal Agnew and Evan Ingram's coming across to block him. And instead of trying to get this outside contain, like I talked about, he just tries to to shoot and block Evan Ingram. But it's like he's just blocking you, dude. Like just stick to the outside, force it on the inside, and end up being a big run in the in the red zone. And on top of that, I saw him flexing at one point off of a kick return or a punt return. Like he needs to just get a little bit more discipline, and then he will see more reps on the defensive line, um, especially if Dorrance Armstrong is struggling a little bit with health. So. Uh, Jess, you know, any guys you want to throw out there? I know I threw out a lot. Um, if you want to agree, if they made your list as well, too, um, I'll let you have the floor. Deron Bland made my nice list because obviously, and I'm surprised you didn't say it when you mentioned his name, but I think people are getting tired of me saying it, but y'all know what I'm going to say. Y'all know what I'm thinking. Um, but Deron Bland, absolutely incredible to see what he has returned to. I mean, oh my goodness, just I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see his career taking off. I, I'm so excited for him. Um, I had Peyton Hendershot and Jake Ferguson on my nice list as a little duo package because who would have thought that this tight end group would be such a key component of this team going into the start of the season? Um absolutely incredible what they've been able to do as rookies as well and it should be scary really for the rest of the league that has to see this uh, dynamic duo for years to come because uh yeah hopefully the cowboys can get them locked down for long-term deals because they're very great assets um other than that i also had cd on my nice list because after all of the talk that we have heard Throughout the last 15 weeks of CD not being wide receiver one material, I'm just so proud of him for stepping into his own. And maybe he hasn't quite stepped up to the full potential that we know he can, or we're hoping at least, but he has made improvements. He's made leaps and bounds of improvements. And that's all I can ask for a guy that's put in that position post Amari Cooper era. Very big shoes to fill for CeeDee Lamb. And um, maybe he hasn't utilized the best at times. I know ball security was a big issue earlier in the season, but we've seen improvement and we've seen the aggressiveness uh, go back to that term because, again, that's that's a very important part of his game. I think he's absolutely um, making those plays happen. However, the biggest thing I have on my naughty list, and this took up three spots, everybody, penalties. That is number one on my naughty list uh, for this year because, holy cow, for a second there, I was so tired of talking about them. I'm so glad that the conversation or whatever Mike McCarthy has been doing within this team lately to really hone in on that has helped. Um, And when I've talked to the guys in the locker room, it was all a mental focus thing. And that's what they talked about was they need to key in on their mental focus. To me, last three weeks, they've been good. They have been good. There was only two penalties for the Cowboys uh, against Jacksonville, which, you know, I was keeping an eye out for Um, the Cowboys actually still ranking fifth in the league right now for penalties. And so far they have, let's see, 91 for the season, uh, costing them 697 yards. But actually number one right now in the league is Denver. They have 101 penalties for 857 yards. So that doesn't make you feel better about the whole penalty situation. I don't know what will. In the meantime, penalties stay number one on my naughty list forever in my heart that's where it will be howman how is your christmas list looking uh i mean it's it's looking pretty good i i made this list and i checked it twice and, oh uh, my god so good 
Thank you. That was a, a, that was impressive. I'm just the But uh, I mean, going through my my nice list, um, I also had CD Lamb on there. I think he's uh, he's taken a lot of strides, and he's really. Uh, as someone who was critical of him last time I was on the writer's block, uh, he's really proved me wrong, and I'm very happy that that he did that. Maybe he was listening and just wanted to stick it to me. And uh, also have Micah Parsons, who I talked about earlier. He led the team. He had the most single-game pressures he's had his whole career. I thought he was really great, even though he wasn't able to actually get to the quarterback. He also had that fumble recovery, which was a direct result of his hustle. He didn't give up on that play. He kept running after the ball. I think that just speaks to him as a player. Um, also Dak Prescott, because, you know, it, it kind of got lost in how the game ended, but he had a really good game. He had some really great throws, and that that last touchdown that he threw, too, people forget that was that would have counted as a game-winning drive if they had held on and, and gotten the win. Like, he led them down, he threw that touchdown, and he threw it as he's running out to his left, threw it on the move to Noah Brown, who also makes an appearance on my nice list as Noah Brown, because... I, he he needs he needs some love because I think he's getting too much hate for that final play. And you know, obviously, you want your receiver to catch the ball. That's literally in his job description. But at the same time, the odds that dropping a ball like that is going to bounce right into Rayshon Jenkins' hands, and he's going to have a clear lane to just go down the field. You know, I I can't really pin that on him. He should have made the catch, but I don't say that that's necessarily his pick six. And aside from that play, he had a really good game. He was the only receiver on the team to catch a touchdown. He did it twice. He had a really great day, especially when Michael Gallup wasn't wasn't used, wasn't doing anything when he was thrown to. Uh, I thought it was a really encouraging performance from Noah Brown. And um, looking at uh, the rest of my naughty list, the one that I think probably stands out the most is Demarcus Lawrence, who I have been a huge fan of, and I have defended him for years now, it seems, because he gets a lot of hate for not getting all the sacks. And I think this year he's been overall having a phenomenal season and really proving his value, not just as a pass rusher, but as as a run stopper. And he's far, far and away been the best run defender on this team. Um, but but this game against the Jaguars, he, he just kind of disappeared for me. I, at a certain point, I was wondering, like, is he still out there? Is he still playing? Did he get hurt or something? No, he was out there. He just... He struggled to make any sort of impact. And it was especially disappointing because going against Trevor Lawrence, it would have been that much more rewarding if we got to have Lawrence sacking Lawrence. And so not only did he not actually make much of an impact, he robbed us of that fun name sacking himself joy that we could have had. I, I like it. And uh, listen, maybe the Cowboys have to bring back the uh... – the really cool red stripe uh, so that the Cowboys will get a win on Saturday night. A uh, little parody on the... I, I tried topping whatever whatever Hammond did. It, it didn't work. Uh, I, you mentioned Prescott, and I think we can end the naughty and nice list with, with him. Do you guys put the blame of the loss on him? I personally don't. I think that I will take the good with the bad. Um, there certainly has been a lot of bad. He certainly could be on a lot of naughty lists for, for fans out there. You know, again, since week eight, he leads the league in interceptions right now. 
now. So I do think that there are a lot of things he needs to clean up, but I also put him on the pedestal of uh, a Brett Favre type, not exactly Brett Favre, but you take the good with the bad people in green Bay will take the hall of fame career of, of uh, Brett Favre with all the interceptions that he threw. So uh, Howman, I'll start with you and then we'll, we'll end it with Jess on that point. Um, yeah. What do you think of Dak and, and if he's the reason why the Cowboys lost? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I would not say that he's the reason they lost. I think, you know, like I was saying, he let a, what would have been a game winning drive there at the end. I think Dak Prescott always has you in the conversation to win as long as he's out there. Um, I think, you know, obviously a lot of people have a lot of problems with the interceptions, but looking at his interceptions, like not, not to say that, you know, he's completely perfect and does nothing wrong, but most of his, his interceptions have come on like something weird where either like the receiver runs the wrong route last week his arm gets hit as he's going forward um and then you know the pick six this game where it bounces right off of noah brown's hands and you know there's not a whole lot of interceptions he has where it's like he just makes a wrong read or he just poorly throws it in in, you know while he's in a clean pocket so i think that it, it really just hammers home how how much of a team game it is and how it's so hard to really extract the quarterback's performance from everything else but i mean you know, week in, week out, Dak Prescott, since he's come back, like the offense has been so much better, so much more productive. Um, and I thought he had a good game against Jacksonville. Could have done a few things better here and there, but that's going to be the case for most quarterbacks any given week. Yeah, this absolutely was not all on Dak. Um, I think what I respect the most about him, which I always have, is his accountability. And he knows it's a problem. He knows interceptions are a problem for him right now, but what I think we've also failed to remember is he's coming back from a thumb injury on his throwing hand. That's still going to take time to adjust. And you're talking about a guy that's had just a uh, plethora of freak accidents and freak injuries that have happened in his career. So you look at it and, and as much as these players will tell you, you know, it doesn't bother me. It's not in my head. How can it not be? You're human, right? I mean, anytime I know Dak gets tackled, I mean, there was a tackle yesterday or Sunday that I saw that I, my heart stopped. And I just think people don't give Dak enough grace to look at how far he's come and what he's still yet to do because yeah, he hasn't played a full season. I would be more concerned about the interceptions and I am concerned about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm frustrated and I'm concerned, but I would be even more concerned if this was happening and Dak had played the entirety of the season. That is, those are two different storylines. What you're seeing now is the miscommunication within the offense, everything, how many you just said, you know, receivers not being in their routes or his arm getting hit. That's all within miscommunication of the offense. And to me, that's the most worrisome part of this entire team right now is when is that going to get fixed and how do you even start to fix that? And what is the miscommunication? Um, So I think that's the most worrisome part. I don't put this loss on Dak. Um, I, I think there's a mixture of things that led to it and that led to the loss, of course, and that's that. I, I think it's it's time to um, move it along and on to the next one. It's uh, as Christy Skills said today on Girls Talk, Boys Talk. It's wheels down, on to Philly is what they said when they landed their team charter um, when they got back to Dallas from uh, Jacksonville. So wheels down, on to Philly, and it is what it is. I think now it's it's become you have bigger fish to fry. Um, especially with Jalen Hurts injury. And I think now because of that, it 
could potentially change the way you thought the season was going to go for the NFC. You're talking a team that was pretty much banking on the fact that they would have a healthy starting quarterback that could win out the rest of these games easily, probably sit him anyways at some point, and continue to go through and be the number one seed in the NFC. I'm not saying that's not going to be the case anymore, but it's very interesting to see the turn of events that could happen from losing Jalen Hurts for the Eagles. It might not be as easy as they're thinking, um, especially, you know, just with the momentum that this team's been feeling. They have one loss so far this season. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But, no, to answer your question, Brandon, I don't I don't pin it all on Dak. I think there's a lot of other things that are going through. When you have a defense that's allowing a 17-point lead to just be followed up by three straight drives of points on the opposing team, that's an issue. Um, so, yeah, I think – there's a plethora of things to be fixed, but guys, we have unfortunately run over our time here because we just have so much fun talking about uh, all of this stuff. So real quick, where can the people find you and all your incredible opinions, uh, whether they're right or wrong, especially having to do with pumpkin pie, Brandon, I'll start with you and then Howman, tell us where the people can find you. Yeah, well, right's in my name, so I guess it's kind of accurate. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at, at Brandon is right, and it's the other right, it's W-R-I-T-E, because occasionally I don't, you know, write as often with pen and paper anymore, but it's more typing. So maybe I should change it to Brandon is type. Uh, or is my type? Dang, that would have been another good one. See, I need to learn from from Howman uh, on how to close out these puns a little bit better. But yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at Brandon is right. And then, of course, you know, read all my articles there and and at bloggingtheboys.com. You know, Brandon, if you want to get better with your puns, you got to eat some pumpkin pie. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's where I'm lacking. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter, uh, at underscore DH four, four underscore got to bracket it with those two underscores. Um, and usually I'm, I'm sharing all my Cowboys thoughts, try not to be, uh, too negative, but this past week with the Jaguars game, the way it unfolded, it happens. Uh, and then putting out articles on bloggingtheboys.com on almost daily basis. So Go ahead and read my thoughts there. Generally, it's the same stuff I'm tweeting, but it's a little more composed from all of the typing I do. You guys just absolutely kill me. Oh, my goodness. I like how you just admitted, you know, it happens. We were all a little negative. It's okay. It's it's part of being a Cowboys fan. I feel like you have the ups and the downs, but as long as you're loyal through the downs, that's all that matters, right? I mean, y'all are obviously loyal Cowboys fans, um, and if you're listening to this, I would, I would hope you made it to the end because we're hilarious. Um, even though Brandon doesn't like pumpkin pie, we won't hold it against him. Uh, he's pretty funny too. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at JustNavars underscore. Um, yeah, I am always just tweeting random things that come to my mind. And um, most of the time it has to do with the Cowboys. Most of the time it it's Taylor Swift related. I don't know. I can't really tell you what to expect on my Twitter. It's, it's just, it's fun. It's a fun time over there. Go follow us. Um, but guys... So much fun always talking with you all. Um, just reminding all of us why we are so lucky to be part of Blogging the Boys and get to work with each other because we didn't know each other before any of this started, which is absolutely crazy. 
Um, but again, shout out to RJ for bringing uh, a very cool staff together uh, that just gets along and and I think we all mesh. So uh, we love that. But thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of the Writer's Block. Hopefully we are talking all things Victory Tuesday post-Eagles game. Um, until then, though, please have yourself happy holidays. Uh, enjoy yourself if you haven't started your Christmas shopping. Please make sure to go do that. Friendly reminder there. And until then, we will talk to you later and go Cowboys. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause.